Welcome to the Backyard Buddhist Podcast, where we continually seek everyday enlightenment for the benefit of ourselves and all other beings. I am Ron Powell McLean. Hello there. I'm so happy to be here today. It's Labor Day here in the U.S., and many people have the day off. except my husband <laughs> who is working and I am appreciating the quiet in our home today. Just me and Aurora, our cute little dog. There's plenty going on in our neighborhood. We have two, the two houses across the street from us have brand new neighbors. One, who I've met because she's the daughter of my the neighbor that's on the same side of the street as as us and she's lovely but there's a new couple that's moved in directly across the street and their family and friends seem to be helping with uh, moving in I see um, <laughs> visitors bringing ladders out and things so I I can only uh, imagine what's what's going on over there i think it's exciting to move into a new place also there's certainly anxiety <laughs> that surrounds that we had intended to find a new house this year one that was better suited for us and you know that that really reflected more of our style but since the pandemic decided to happen it's really just put so many things on hold for us but it will happen when it's meant to happen i assume <laughs> the people behind us have a brand new puppy named ruby and they're two young boys who think my dog is the coolest and they love to run the fence with her and now Ruby is running the fence with with all of them and they have they've decided that Ruby and Aurora are best friends so I think Aurora has decided that as well um, each time they take the puppy out into the yard she needs to go out there too and she's very vocal <laughs> about her request to go outside and run the fence and play so it's adorable to watch them the family um with their first dog and they <laughs> have decided that that my husband and i are the um, dog authorities and ask us all the questions of how do you how do you get your dog to potty outside <laughs> what do you what do you how long do you have to kennel it <laughs> all these all these uh details and it's it's pretty fun so that's happening and i'm just chilling today i have been reflecting, um, of course, on last week's podcast. 
which was, you know, really vulnerable and sensitive subject for me. And I, it's not a subject that I just came upon, but understanding that my, my brain, my judgment, my ego judges upon itself and says, you're just not good enough. And that has been a weird crux in, in my spiritual development. You know, it's easy. I say it's easy, but it's easier when you're in silent retreat, when I'm in silent retreat, or I'm on my cushion, or taking a walk in nature, for me to feel the connectedness and feel the impermanence and see my suffering in a way that is spiritually enlightening. And I feel like my attentive awareness is really benefiting me. But it's in those darker times when you get, you get kind of smacked with something out of the blue that knocks you off your game a little. And I will say that there's a lot of frustration around that recurrence of the same kind of shit. <laughs> same thing. Oh, I was doing so well and then boom, here came not enough. So one thing that I do productively use in my treatment, if you will, of that condition, rather than letting myself get pulled into the depression that often comes after frustration and agitation and uh, restless disruption. There's a low point where you just feel like, why am I even doing this? Is there any good that can come from my actions or my attention, my practice? So there's, there's one place that I typically turn in that regard, and it's a song by the great Yogi Milrepa, and I want to read it to you. I included in each of our Sunday services for the Kansas City Buddhist Center, and I've thought about removing it several times and just freshening it up, and I can't <laughs> because I feel like it's really a profound teaching that leads us and sets this, the, the tone for our practice. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, my body is the holy mandala itself. 
wherein resides the Buddhas of all times. With their blessings, I'm freed from all needs and attachments. By day and night, I offer them up. Happy am I to do without material things, knowing that all beings in the six realms of samsara are inherently Buddhas, and all the three worlds, the self-creating measureless Trikaya Palace. Whatever I do is the play of the Dharmadhatu, ultimate reality. Whoever I'm with is the Yidam deity. Wherever I stay is the Buddha's abode. Happy am I to forego outer supports, rituals, and symbols. So if you can hear that, And that first line, the body, my body is the holy mandala itself wherein resides the Buddhas of all times. This is my refuge. This is my understanding, my touchstone to remind myself that I have everything that I need with within what is already here there's nothing to achieve outside of what i already have access to and for me this is this is the real this was my initial and real attraction to the buddhist practice the B buddhist philosophy the buddhist religion was that I didn't have to beg. I didn't have to beg, plead, borrow, steal, or barter anything for the right and the empowerment to access these tools. This was much of my frustration with my Catholic upbringing is honestly just not feeling as if I was accepted. I had the feeling that I was judged and that I was never going to be good enough for that God and for that community. And when I was 16 and sitting in front of my priest nervously telling him that I thought I would was one of those homosexuals, I think that's exactly what I said. I think I'm one of those homosexuals. And he said, there's not enough Hail Marys to keep you out of hell. That was devastating for me and rocked me and quite frankly pissed me off because I didn't feel like I deserved that. I was a good kid. I was caring. I tried to be the best that I could. I was frustrated. I was handed a 
you know, a, a, a reality that I couldn't do anything about being that I was gay. And that felt really unfair and really cruel. So I abandoned my attachment to that practice and that religion for a very long time. And, you know, as, as you, you know, if you already know this, my story, you know, I discovered or was introduced to some sort of meditation when I was about 12 or 13 years old. So pretty young. I'm 52 now, I think, <laughs> if I do the math. <laughs> I often forget my, my age. That's why I'm giggling. Um, so I've been doing it a very long time. But Buddhism really came to me and was sort of placed in my path or I tripped on it 12, 13 years ago, somewhere in there. And it was really that soul position that I already have what I need. I just have to learn to use it. I already own the car, the wheels, the steering wheel, the seatbelt, and the gas. I just have to learn how to turn the darn thing on and drive it. So that, that felt hopeful to me and still does. I, I, I can find myself relaxing when I give myself the the gift of that vantage point and remind myself that my body is the holy mandala itself wherein resides the buddhas of all times all that wisdom all of that awareness and the actions of compassion and wisdom that come from that awakened awareness is perfect and accessible it's really just reconditioning ourselves to stay present so that we can put those tools to use in the moment that the reactions, our human reactions are happening. So that feels very accessible to me. And the fact that I don't need things like rituals and symbols and outer supports to achieve this awareness or access, better word, access this awareness. But that awareness as, you know, as we got into last week, that awareness can be really, really dark and understanding that me this little, you know, being that feels very separate when things get dark struggles, struggles at those times and doesn't feel like, I don't feel super motivated. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way. I don't feel super motivated when that's going on to do anything. 
to scramble and try to make better. That's really just sort of like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. And I've done it. I've done it most of my life, scrambling to get out of a feeling or feel like I was in control. And it does feel like scrambling. And I, I often use knowledge to try to right the ship, if you will. So I read or I take a class or I get another degree or <laughs> whatever it might be. And I still do it to a, to a, some degree. I find myself settled when I'm learning. I feel like I'm continuing to awaken my knowledge and that's a good and bad thing because this this continuum that is the in the interconnection between all of us is not knowledge it's isness I had a very strange dream the night that I met Lama Surya Das in person. So I was attending a conference with him. He was a keynote speaker at a conference and I was sent there to be his attendant and to meet him. I had just um, started doing some uh, marketing branding work around him, trying to connect him and his, his, his private entity, his books and authordom and his foundation and his retreats and trying to interconnect those, interconnect those audiences. Anyhow, I was, I just began doing that work for him and hadn't actually met him, but except over a, you know, conference call, I think we tried to zoom or um, Skype or something back then. And not, I don't think that worked. I think we were just on a conference call. So I hadn't actually met him in person. Anyway, I met him and I, I was taken aback um, by him. I expected something, someone different, but there was something very real about him but also very intriguing. And I've, uh, I've seen this in, since then in a lot of spiritual uh, teachers that I can see a, a connectedness. Anyway, I met him and it was interesting. <laughs> It was interesting. And that night I was in this little mountainside lodge um, outside of Boulder attending this conference. And I had 
I was broke, of course, and had found a a lodging um, that was outside of the outside of the the actual area and a little bit of a hike and I didn't have any phone service or Wi-Fi or anything and I digress I was sleeping and had this dream this very vivid dream that he was he and I were talking and he just kept saying to me the is is in the isness and to me that like i woke up and i was like wtf what the flip was that what do you mean the is is in the isness and he kept saying in the dream do you hear what i'm saying do you hear what i'm saying like i hear what you're saying but i don't know what the heck you're saying and it's come to be this constant reminder of this isness, like this isness, the experience of everything this is. And I mean the mashup and the balance of ultimate reality and this pervasive interconnected consciousness that births everything including my relative form your relative form our bodies our thoughts our actions our speech all emanate from this ultimate reality so there's a this simultaneous interconnected thing that's going on but we tend to not see it because we're stuck in our own mud of personal reality so this human thing with its ego and its sensations and feelings and thoughts and emotions keep rising up and stealing the stage. And it's in times like that, that we forget our interconnectedness and the ease of everything already exists where I need it to be. And so I scramble. I scramble and scramble and scramble trying to acquire and fix. It's like that Houston, we have a problem thing. Let's dump out all the, the contents of what might be on the, you know, the contents of what we have and trying to mash it up together MacGyver style. And oftentimes it just, we can't seem to patch it together, which seems to be frustrating because we're only trying to access that which is our relative reality and not that ultimate reality where enough is enough and I have enough. 
I don't need anything else. But yet I start to crave other things. I start to crave a reality or a, an experience where everything is abundant. That I have the things I want, the people that I want, the mental state that I want. And that I don't have anything that I don't want. And therein lies the innate problem that invites us right to the door of suffering where I've craved so much and become attached so much to what I want and averse to what I don't want that now I think they need to be separated and the things that I don't want or that I don't like need to be eradicated and now I'm in a state of incompleteness where I'm just dragged around by, oh crap, how do I get rid of that? But then there's this ease that when we learn to recognize that ease when we realize that all of those things are meant to be exactly where they are. Things that we don't like, things that we do like, they're all, they're all here. And they're all part of this interconnected consciousness. And they all sprang forth from that interconnected consciousness. Nothing is really being created. It's just like waves coming off of the ocean. Oh, so, I in fact delight in the ease of knowing that I can sit exactly where I am in the quiet of this house while my husband's at work and my dog is sleeping over there on a cushion, <laughs> oblivious to what I'm even saying. And that in that moment, I have everything. I need for nothing. And the rest is all just craving and attachment and aversion. When I can sit with that reality, I understand. And there's an ease that emanates from that. I really want for everyone to be able to access that ease. But you have to be able to sit in stillness and watch and understand your own reactions. To understand and access that ease. 
And sometimes it's really just hard to do because there's so much mental activity going on. When I feel anxious, my thoughts seem to race in random directions. I can't seem to control it. I don't know where it's going. I don't know why I'm thinking about something from 20 years ago. I don't know why I have regret. I don't know why I have craving. I don't know why I have attachment and I don't know what to do about it. And I feel like scrambled eggs. And then the other side of that, when I'm exhausted from all of that, is depression. That sinking feeling like there's nothing I can do, nor should I do. I should just lay here and wait for death or wait for it to all just stop. And somewhere in between is the middle way, the middle path. And if you've never heard me talk about middle path or middle way, I literally like to think of it as like a, a highway. With the rumble strips on the edges. And maybe some rocky terrain and even a cliff on the outside. So there's warnings. There's warning signs when you hit those rumble strips. Oh, oh, cor course correct. Pull back to center. Pull it in. Trim it up. But if we don't understand where the sides are, where the extremes are, then we can't know where the center is. And as our understanding expands the road widens as well the rumble strips get further and further apart knowing the extremes we can always find the center we shouldn't live on the fringe either way but somewhere in between so for me, somewhere between anxiousness and depression <laughs> is okayness. The middle of the road is perpetual okayness. And we all have the ability to access that understanding, knowing your own extremes. What is your highest and what is your lowest? Where are the obstacles of craving, aversion, even the obstacles of like and dislike? They're like boulders and limbs across the road. When we can see them through the light, the spotlight of awareness, and we can do something about it. We can go around. Oh, I see that over there. It's just an obstacle. It's just my dislike. It's my craving, my aversion, my attachment.
<sighs> so I want you to spend some time thinking about your enoughness. Last week we talked about the reality or our perception that we're not good enough. And that's a very vulnerable position to take. It can feel upsetting. It can feel hopeless. But I want to give you a little hope. There's a lot of hope. And that hope is in your understanding that everything is not meant to be happiness. Everything is not meant to be sadness. But an experience where both exist. And we honor each of those emotional reactions. For just that, they are emotional reactions from our relative human existence. So I hope that's hopeful for you. I want to end with reading one more time this song of Milrepa. My body is the holy mandala itself, wherein resides the Buddhas of all times. With their blessings, I'm freed from all needs and attachments. By day and night, I offer them up. Happy am I to do without material things, knowing that all beings in the six realms of samsara are inherently Buddhas, and all the three worlds, the self-creating measureless Trikaya Palace. Whatever I do is the play of the Dharmadhatu, ultimate reality. Whoever I'm with is the Yidam deity. Wherever I stay is the Buddha's abode. Happy am I to forego outer supports, rituals, and symbols. Enough is enough, and we all have enough. We have everything that it takes, all the elements. We simply point our awareness to whatever is going on, whoever we're with, wherever we are, and sit in the ease of understanding that it's all okay. My friends, thank you for tuning in from around the globe. I, I get so excited to see where you are that is downloading our podcast I see little pings from around the globe and that makes me feel very interconnected with all of you 
if you want to reach out, um, my email should be on the on the on the website and um, on on the podcast description. So reach out, say hi, let me know what you might be struggling with or what you might need help with. And as my friend Dan says, and Lama Suryadas always says, remember, meditate as fast as you can. Bye now. <laughs>